creating cultural awareness and understanding. This is Culture Click. Culture Click is written and produced by KQALFM on the campus of Winona State University. Today on Culture Click, we return to the No Name Bar for a part three continuation of this nerdtastic monthly event, Nerd Night. Nerd Night is a beer-filled history channel to those who are passionate enough to speak to their heart's content. If you enjoy knowledge more than anyone, or perhaps you're passionate enough about topics to be called the nerd, then this safe haven of Nerdvana is a place to be. So take a seat and grab a drink with some friends, because it's Nerd Night from the No Name Bar, today on Culture Click. Real quick, a couple announcements. If you didn't know, uh, stick around. The fun doesn't stop after Nerd Night. I know it's hard to believe. The fun's going to keep going with some uh, karaoke. I'll be sticking around, so if you want to hear your nerd boss sing, uh, stick around a little bit. Sadly, uh, we will not be having Nerd Night in June and July. Why? Uh, you should get out and work on your nerd suntan. Um, get out. It's nice out. It's summer. Uh, go outside for a little bit. Uh, we'll be back August 23rd, though. Um, if you're interested in speaking, all, we have slots for all our fall dates. Uh, Emily and I are working on filling those up. So if you would like to give a talk sometime next fall, please let us know. Or... Uh, you can find us on Facebook, that QR code. Um, there's a, form, a Google form you can fill out. Be like, hey, I, I want to speak. I have this idea. Fill that out, and we'll get back to you within a couple weeks. Now, you might be like, I don't have anything to talk about. That would be a lie. How do I know this? Because we had this thing called COVID, and we all picked up new hobbies. And hobbies are great things to talk about at Nerd Night. Uh, if... If you don't want to talk, at least follow us um, to keep updated for our future events. And the last big announcement I have for you is there's actually a Nerd Night book. So I mentioned this is a national, international thing. So uh, Chris and Matt uh, organized this uh, new book that's coming out in February uh, that's going to talk about 70 different popular presentations from across the world, including the talk that our own Elizabeth Russell did, who's a professor at Winona State. Uh, gave on lessons from the Oregon Trail. So check that book out. It's pretty cool. With that being said, let's welcome John Mauser to the stage. So John, uh, he's, this is his second time actually up here uh, on our Nerd Night stage. Uh, John is a professor of chemistry at Winona State University, but in his other life, he is a woodworker and one... And, uh, and does the fabulous wood, work, wood duck custom? I'm gonna try this one more time. Wood duck designs custom woodworking. Uh, if he's really great, I follow his uh, his wood duck designs on Facebook. He's always posting awesome, cool things. He's got great stuff to sell. Great woodworker, and he's gonna kind of combine his two passions, chemistry and woodworking, to tell us about the science of stick, or how to glue anything. So let's welcome John. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm John. Uh, I, as Carl just said, uh, I am a chemistry professor at Winona State, uh, and I also am a woodworker in my spare time, whatever that is. Um, and they're really the same hobby. Um, you know, chemist, uh, woodworking is essentially applied chemistry. Everything that we do is essentially using natural products and getting them to go together in cool ways. Um, I'm also a dad, so this picture speaks to me. Um, Sticky kids are a big part of my life, um, and how we deal with um, stickiness is actually a big part of what we do as human beings, especially in a modern age. So I'm hoping I don't bore the crap out of you with my chemistry, uh, but we'll see. 
So you might be familiar with this diagram, um, an engineering flowchart. If it doesn't move, no. Should it? Yes. Use WD-40. Does it move? Yes. Should it? No. Use duct tape, right? The two parts of the force, right? It's the light side and the dark side of the force, and they can solve every problem. Um, as I've become more and more, uh, I guess, uh, advanced in my life, uh, my life journey, I suppose, I realized that WD-40 is a crappy lubricant and duct tape is a crappy adhesive. Um, and so this flowchart is, we're going to hopefully go beyond it, um, but we'll see. So is anyone familiar with the lovely gecko? Okay. Geckos are awesome because they essentially have anti-gravity powers. If you've ever seen one crawling around their enclosure, they can move up, down, side to side, upside down on pretty much any surface except for Teflon. Um, it's the only surface that a gecko can't stick to. Um, and it's really interesting because the geckos themselves don't leave anything on the glass, right? They don't have any kind of adhesive like a snail or a slug does to stick to surfaces. Uh, they do it all with the, the geometry and the topology of their foot, okay? And so really what we're talking about when things are sticky is we're talking about surface science, things that stick to surfaces or don't stick to surfaces. Um, and the first, maybe the oldest idea about how this works is based on friction. Are you guys familiar with this idea of friction? Okay. What is friction? Can anyone boil it down for me? Physics professors? Is it any physics professors in the house? Oh, right in front. Jen, what's friction? Yeah, resistance to force of movement. Um, so we've known about friction a really long time. It's how things typically stay in one place. And if you're thinking about things being sticky, they stay where they're put, right? One of the first ways we think about this is, for example, trying to move something. If you've ever tried to move your house, it'd be cool if we could just move the house somewhere else and just take the house with us. Unfortunately, it doesn't really move that easily, and that's because largely we can't either lift it or move it um, due to friction. So here is a uh, here is a old hieroglyphic relief from 1900 BC, and this is called moving the Colossus. Okay, this is moving a large statue across um, across presumably the desert because this is ancient Egypt, and all these people are pulling this large Colossus. And if you look at the very front, you see a guy with one jug of water. Okay, and he's pouring that water on the sand. And presumably, that's all they need to get this giant colossus to move. And it's true. They've actually looked back at some of this in recent studies and say, what is the optimal amount of water you need to get something to slide so it doesn't stick? Turns out, you only need a very small amount of lubrication to get something to move. Um, and so this guy's job is actually the most important. That's why he's at the front, right? Um, it turns out that if you have dry sand, the particles are all very distinct, and they move Essentially, they can sink down. You can fall down into sand. And if you've ever tried to build a sandcastle out of dry sand, you know it doesn't work, right? You need a significant amount of water in there to hold the particles together. Otherwise, they'll just flow like a, like a liquid. Um, if you get too much liquid in there, the liquid will run out. And essentially, it'll become too packed and too muddy, right? And so the optimal amount essentially is an intermediate amount, the Goldilocks principle, right? Not too much water, not too little water, just the right amount so that it stays packed and you can move something along it. And it also stays lubricated, right? And so you can move this. Okay, Three to 4% water is the perfect amount of water in this study to show that you can minimize friction along the surface, okay? Um, and so it's kind of cool. We've known this for thousands of years that if you put something on a surface, you can make something either stick to it or not stick to it. Um, in this case, not stick to it, right? Adhesives is a kind of a two-way street. It's either you want it to stick or not stick, okay? 
Egyptians figured out how to not stick a long time ago. Um, sticking is something is kind of more of a modern thing, right? Being able to get something that actually sticks for a really long time seems like it's a modern uh, advance. Um, so this, the way friction actually works is two surfaces touching each other essentially have to move past each other, and every surface is a little bit irregular, and so they have these little dips and valleys that essentially will bump into one another, right? And so these two surfaces trying to slide past each other have to get through these peaks, and the force that applied um, is all relative to how smooth that surface is, right? If you have a very smooth surface, they'll slide past each other easily. If it's a very rough surface, they won't, and they'll stick, okay? Now, when we're talking about a gecko's foot, everyone wants to think that friction's the answer, right? Friction, if you just have a cool foot like this, sticking on a glass panel, if you just have a lot of friction, it'll stick. But glass is super smooth, right? Glass actually doesn't have very much stuff for a gecko's foot to stick on um, because it is, it's, it does, it's actually much smoother than what's shown here, right? Um, and so what we want, what they've tried to do is say, can you climb even something polished to a mirror surface? Geckos can climb it, right? Friction is not the answer. The next thing people tried to figure out was how do the geckos do it if it's not friction? And that's where I'm trying to go next here, okay? So really, if we want to get to what a glue is or an adhesive is, um, it is a two-phase process. One of those is what's called adhesion, which is something sticking to the surface you're applying it to. You have to be able to stick to the surface that you're trying to glue something onto, obviously, otherwise it's not going to stick it. Um, and then cohesion is sticking together. So the adhesive force is between the surface and the glue, and then the cohesive force is holding the glue together. Okay? Whenever people find out that my woodworking is largely held together with glue and no metal objects, people get freaked out because you're used to seeing screws and nails holding things together, right? But in fact, glue is much stronger than the wood itself. Anytime I ever see a, a, a glue failure in a cutting board, for example, it's always the wood that's failed and never the glue, okay? And that's because the glue itself has been engineered to such a point where it's actually more... Uh, strong as a material than the wood itself, right? And so we don't see glue line failures the way we used to in, in the olden days, okay? Um, and so the cohesion is important, and so is the adhesion. And so this leads to the idea of how does a glue fail? Um, there's three ways to fail. One of them is to not stick to, sorry, one side. This is called an adhesive failure, where a piece of wood, for example, didn't get the glue stuck to it. This happens a lot with oily tropical woods. So if you're using something like Paduke or Purple Heart or something like that, we actually have to do a degreasing step to get all of those oils off so that the water-based glue can stick to it and bind to it, okay? It's often, if I use one of those tropical woods, I'm expecting glue failures because the oils themselves will interfere with that adhesion. So you'll run into this sometimes if you have fancy tropical hardwoods. Cohesive failure is very infrequent anymore. It used to be very frequent. In the old days, like when my dad taught me how to build cutting boards when I was younger, he used to put threaded rod and then bolt it together and then, then that would hold the glue together. Nowadays, we have such advanced polymer glues that we never see this anymore. It's very, very infrequent that the glue itself will fail. It's most likely gonna be an adhesive failure or actually not the glue's fault at all, right? If the wood itself fails, um, then that's going to be a good way to fail the thing. That's the way I see it most often. Somebody has not oiled their cutting board and they come in with a big crack in it and they want me to fix it and it's like, well, that was because the substrate failed. It wasn't the glue's fault. I can't get mad at the glue. It's, it's the wood, right? You got to get mad at the wood. Fiona can speak to this. Okay. All right. Um, there, so that's kind of the big thing about 
the basic types of adhesion. It either sticks or it doesn't. It either sticks to itself or it doesn't, or the thing fails itself. Now, the thing you might think about with sticky things is probably things like this, honey, right? Um, why is honey sticky? Um, well, honey is made out of sugar, right? It's collected from, from flowers from, by bees, and it's made into a syrup. Um, and that syrup is very much water-soluble, right? You can dissolve honey in water, um, and it has lots of things that are kind of like water because, as you might have heard, like dissolves like, right? And so when you have lots of sugary things that have lots of water-like groups on them, those will stick to us, which are also made highly of water. Luckily for us, the adhesive force of honey is not bad. We can wash the honey off our hands, right? The adhesion to our skin is not strong, right? Um, this, my, my kids love slime because it's messy, I think, and they love to just get a rise out of me. Um, it's like, let's make slime today, Dad. No thanks. I don't want to ruin my weekend. Um, but um, like, this is a borax slime. This is actually made with uh, like washable school glue, and you usually add borax to make it stick to itself and cross-link, and you can make cool slimes. Again, that's, that's glue that's essentially been modified so it doesn't stick as well to you. Right, whereas it totally would. This, I found this online. I thought it was hilarious. It's this boy with all these spoons and things stuck to him called the Magnetic Boy. Turns out he was just a really sticky kid. Okay. So be skeptical of the things you see in the news. Okay. Um, so some places you've probably seen glues is if you're in a city, you've probably seen things like this, poster paste-ups. This is actually one of the oldest types of adhesives we know of called wheat paste. This actually ties in with Brita's talk, so hey, uh, synergy. Um, wheat paste essentially is a high gluten flour that you make a paste out of. You mix it and you cook it, and then that high gluten flour, the proteins themselves, the gluten, actually, once the water evaporates out, sticks to lots of stuff. It turns out proteins are very sticky, right? Most of the sticky things that we see in life are actually made of protein, okay? So wheat paste is often added to papers. You can stick them up, you can paste over them, and then you see this kind of thing very commonly um, for like temporary postings. Um, the other place you might have heard about glue is Old Best being sent to the glue factory. Um, animal, animal glues are still very common, um, especially in animals that have a lot of mass, a lot of protein, like horses, have a particular tendency to go to the glue factory, even though it's very uncommon anymore. But that's the kind of the old, the old way of thinking about it, is they would take a large animal, they would kill it, and then they would boil it down for all of its collagen and make glue out of it, right? And that's because that's the way that proteins essentially could be cheaply harvested to make tons of glue, right? And luckily, horses have lots of tendons and cartilage and things that you can make glue out of. In fact, in, in the instrument-making community, people who make... Uh, like high quality violins and guitars typically will use like fish-based uh, protein glues. This is uh, isinglass. No, I don't know. I forgot what this is called. But it's a fish-based glue. Essentially, fish are harvested. Their collagen is boiled down, and their skins are used as the glue. So it's kind of cool. Still use a lot of this, but in a very niche way. Before, this is all we used to have was hide glues. Okay, uh, and the way that works is the proteins that are part of this in this case is collagen, which is from all of the, the ligaments and tendons and things from the animal. Okay? And so those tend to have lots of different things and they can stick to lots of different things. Okay? Um, and so during the war, actually, uh, World War II, uh, the government actually collected bones from communities to make into glues and adhesives and things because these things are so useful in many different uh, areas that essentially the bones were even uh, pretty valuable. Okay, um, so here is my favorite glue. 
Everyone at, loves to ask me about the glues that I use. I don't know why glue is so fascinating to people in my booth, but they love to ask me about what glue I use. Type Bond 3 is the best. Uh, it is a urea formaldehyde glue, um, which is different from the hide glues. Hide glues are all made out of proteins that essentially evaporate and form a film. Once that water goes away, that film holds things together. Um, for these kinds of glues, what you actually do is form a polymer, a little plastic between them, and then this OH can stick to whatever is, whatever is trying to bind to. For example, a piece of wood, right? Um, or a piece of paper. In fact, if you want a very, very good school glue, use wood glue. Because paper, it turns out, made out of wood fibers. Who knew? Um, so if you want a very strong uh, craft glue for your paper projects, use wood glue. It works just fine. Um, washable school glues that you might see, uh, this is the stuff I give my kid, of course, um, can be washed out because they're very like water. You can, the water will dissolve them. Whereas this stuff is very unlike water, and so those are waterproof. They're also food safe, right? So all of my cutting boards are made with food safe polymer glues that don't leach anything um, into uh, the food you're eating. So like this acetate stuff um, might leach in. Now, the last thing you see a lot in woodworking these days is epoxy projects. If you've ever seen the river tables, where it's like live edge and then they pour like blue epoxy and it looks like a river, that, that. You might have seen that, right? Those are super hot right now, um, and they sell for thousands of dollars. And so I understand why woodworkers want to make them because people like money, it turns out. Um, but one thing that a lot of you'll see a lot of people selling at craft fairs is these kinds of things made out of cutting boards, um, and then people will use them as charcuterie boards. They're pretty, of course. But one thing you really want to watch out for for epoxy resins like this is that they can contain something called bisphenol A, BPA. Um, BPA is something that's been in the news about plastics. A lot of things are labeled as low BPA plastics or no BPA added. Um, BPA is actually, uh, it acts similar to uh, several sex hormones, and so it, it, it's a feminizing kind of uh, compound that uh, when you ingest it, essentially, it's no longer food safe. Um, and so these, these kinds of tables, obviously, if you're eating straight off of them, I can't help you. But uh, if you're eating off of a, like a cheese plate, obviously, with epoxy, you could be ingesting BPA as part of that. Right? So be careful if you, if you have an epoxy kind of cutting board. Um, it's very likely that you're going to be ingesting some of this stuff uh, in the course of eating your crackers and cheese. Yeah? So fun. Yay. Okay, one other cool thing. Um, this is cyanoacrylate glue. It's super glue. Okay? Um, super glue is actually a super cool, fast-curing glue. Um, it has a cyanide group on it. Um, this, uh, obviously, cyanide, not super great for you. Um, in this case, though, when it's fully cured, it's okay. It's not food safe. I don't ever cure anything with super glue. Um, but um, this can be used for wounds. If you've ever had a cut, um, I actually, um, I'm still a 10-finger woodworker. I would consider that a point of pride. So, yeah, thank you. Okay. I still have all of my digits. Um, they're not all in their original state, but they're close. Um, but I have applied super glue to myself in cases of cuts before. It works really good. Um, it actually will bind your skin together long enough for your proteins to do the normal clotting and repair functions. Um, and this is actually used in trauma settings too for small cuts. You can get um, super glue for wounds specifically. Um, and this is a good in a pinch. Not great, but good in a pinch. So one more thing I wanted to talk about is paints. Okay? Um, I use, uh, you can make your own oil paints. 
Oil paints are really cool. Um, and if you wanted to go down a really weird YouTube rabbit hole, you could certainly get into the world of people who mix their own paints. Um, essentially, what you need for, to make an oil paint is two things. You need the thing to make it sticky, and you need the actual colored compound. Okay? The thing that makes it sticky is something called linseed oil. Okay? Um, you can get this in a way that's fast drying or slow drying now, but that's the actual binder, and it also forms the film. Um, and essentially what happens with linseed oil is it's what's called a hardening oil. Um, when the oil itself, which is actually from flax, I don't know why they call it linseed, um, but it's the same thing as flax, so it's flaxseed oil. Um, when this thing um, actually sits on a piece of wood like this, what it will do is it will cross-link to itself and form a film that's essentially watertight against anything. So oil finishes are like the gold standard in woodworking. If you apply um, any kind of linseed oil to something, it's going to form a really durable, long-lasting finish that you don't have to maintain very much, as opposed to like a cutting board where you would have to like re-oil it all pretty constantly. Um, with oil finishes, they're st once they're on, they're, they're pretty good. And this is the kind of thing you see with antique furniture, right? That old finish that has just like a really nice character and depth of color is from this kind of thick layer of these oils that have cross-linked. Um, and it can take weeks to dry, right? Um, and that's, that process is just because this, this drying and hardening process and curing process is actually relatively slow. Um, but it's kind of interesting to think about the fact that essentially this is what paint is, just with color in it, right? And, and this, this hardening process is, is, um, is kind of fundamental to how we finish products today. Okay, one last thing. I want to bring in a Minnesota connection. Um, if you guys are not familiar with probably the most famous Minnesota product of all that is not a grain-based product, um, it's the Post-It. Um, the Post-It note is made by 3M. Um, and the guy who, uh, who ma actually made it successful is here with a Post-It note on his head. Um, Post-it notes are probably the most successful invention that nobody ever wanted until they figured out that they did. Um, his idea was that when he would go to church and he would try to sing in his hymnal, his bookmark would always fall out when he'd have to stand up and sing the song and he'd sit back down. His bookmark kept falling out and he was looking for a bookmark that would stay put, right? And his job actually was trying to find spaceship adhesives to seal off against the vacuum of space. Um, and one of the things they tried was a crappy adhesive that's called... Um, an acrylic microsphere, an acrylic microspheric copolymer. Um, and th this is the actual stuff that makes post-it notes stick. It's these little polymer spheres that essentially form that sticky bit. Uh, when you squish them down, they form what's called a pressure-sensitive adhesive, and they squish, and their surface area expands, and they hold tightly. And this is essentially what happens with the gecko's foot, too. When the gecko pushes his foot up against the wall, essentially all of those the little surfaces get more squished and they have more contact with the surface and they stick better, okay? Um, and so the same idea that we kind of figured out with post-its, they wanted to initially make blackboards out of this, have a sticky blackboard that you could put any paper on, and nobody wanted that, obviously, because nobody wants... Have you ever seen a, if you've ever taken a post-it note off two or three times, you know what happens to it, right? It gets fouled, you get dirt all over it. Can you imagine a blackboard full of this stuff? It seems like a terrible idea. They were not very great at marketing this initially until they started giving it away for free and they're like, hey, this is awesome for writing notes on my board and making, you know, pixel art or whatever people wanted to do with it um, out of post-its. And now, of course, it's pretty much indispensable in an office setting to have post-it notes. I, I personally pretty much handle my whole daily schedule on post-it notes um, and those post-it notes can just get thrown in the trash in a very satisfying way, right? And it's all because this adhesive kind of sucks, right? For what it is, it's not 
too sticky, but it's also sticky enough, right? It's kind of that, again, that Goldilocks parameter where it's not so sticky that you'll never get it off like an epoxy um, and not, no, not so unsticky that it would not stick, right? And so it's very similar to that idea, okay? Now, the gecko, back to the gecko, okay? Yeah, I know you've been waiting for gecko content. I've been, I, people have been clamoring for gecko content for me for years, finally getting around to it. So if you've been waiting, here you go. Here's your chance, okay? So geckos are cool. Um, their feet have essentially, if you've ever had the bathtub timer experience where your fingers get all wrinkly from sitting in the bathtub too long, that's how you know you've been in long enough. Um, our fingers do that to essentially increase the surface area so we can grip things underwater, right? Um, gecko kind of always have those wrinkles in their fingers, right? And those wrinkles, if you zoom in on them, have tiny forked spatula, what are called setae on them. And these little spatula tips essentially help them stick, but when you push against them like a post-it note, they seal down against the surface. And the cumulative effect of trillions of these little setae on their feet increase the surface area and help them stick to any surface, okay? Now, we figured this out through a long series of experiments that failed. One of the first ones, and I'm sorry for the poor gecko who had to go through this, um, they thought that they were suction cups, right? That these feet were suction cups, and then when you pushed them against them, essentially it was like suction cups. And so what they said was, well, we know what happens to a suction cup in a vacuum. Let's put geckos in this vacuum, completely evacuate the chamber, and see what happens. Now, it turns out a dead gecko sticks to glass the same as a living gecko. Yep, that poor dead gecko who is suffocated in that vacuum chamber it's not a suction thing. And so fortunately, a poor gecko had to pay with its life to find that out, um, but it's not suction. And actually, that kind of shook up the whole world of adhesives for a long time because it, everyone thought it was all a suction thing, of course. Uh, and, if, and if, you know, it's, there's this old saying, if you have a hammer, everything you see is a nail. Um, well, at that time, suction cups were the thing and everything was a suction cup, right? Um, turns out, not at all, right? It is not a suction cup. It's a huge surface area that you can just kind of get on demand, okay? Now, how a, how a gecko handles this experiment um, is that they can climb up the wall, and if they pull their foot off at exactly the right angle, they can detach it. But if it's at a wrong angle, it'll stick, right? And so geckos kind of have to learn to walk in a very specific angle to pull their feet off the wall. But once you have that muscle memory, you can do it any time. And there's a super cool paper that I found when I was researching this, which is called The Adhesive Force of a Single Gecko Foot Hair. Um, this is a nature paper, which is the, probably the highest profile journal in all of science. And what they did was they figured out how much exactly one hair on a gecko's foot could hold. It is 600 times above frictional measurement, right? Which, which implies that essentially this is not a frictional process. We already knew that. We've killed geckos showing it, right? Um, there's no suction. There's no friction. Um, it's all about the fact that when you squish these down, they make extra contacts with the surface, and then they can stick to it in a reversible way that's not slimy, right? And this is actually something that we started building on. Now that we know how a gecko can walk up and we know the force that each one can hold, now there's a whole boom in the adhesives industry to try to mimic a gecko's foot and for tapes, okay? I've actually used gecko foot tape before to hold projects down when I'm working on them so that they stick really well but don't leave a film, which is something important because I don't want to have to sand the project again after it's done. I want it just to be clean release. Um, it, $20 a foot for that tape, right? And that's because you have to micro machine all these tiny little hairs onto the 
thing, right? It's going to be expensive, but at what cost? Now, the cool thing about gecko feet is they don't foul. You don't get dirt on a gecko's foot, right? If they're climbing, that the dirt falls off on its own. And so the next step of this is kind of to make an adhesive that doesn't get like a post-it note where it gets dirt all over it and hair stuck to it all the time, that it cleans itself, right? And the gecko foot essentially is our, our next step towards that because we don't really see any kind of fouling process here, uh, which I think is just fascinating. Okay. Now, the only thing a gecko can't stick to is Teflon. Okay. Now, I can let you imagine how this experiment was derived. They're like, well, I got nonstick pans at home. Let's see what the gecko can do on that. Um, sure, bring in the pan, old boy. Well, if you've ever seen my pans at home, ugh, they're not Teflon-y anymore. Um, we have not treated our Teflon the way we probably should have. Teflon is actually a really interesting thing because Teflon likes one other thing, and that's Teflon. It doesn't like anything else. Um, if you look at Teflon structure, um, it's pretty much an F-bomb, right? It's carbons with a ton of fluorine and nothing else, right? Nothing else really likes Teflon. Teflon only likes other Teflons. And so the question always comes to me when I talk about adhesives, how the hell do they put the Teflon on the pan, right? It's a metal pan. Teflon doesn't like anything else. What they have to do is they have to put kind of a half Teflon. It's a molecule that sticks to metal on one side and then to Teflon on the other. It's like a half Teflon. And so what they do is they prime it with something that sticks to metal on one side and Teflon on the other, and then they'll bake on the actual Teflon so that it sticks to that, and then they will finally make it nice and abrasive so that it actually will not do the stick thing that we're talking about. But geckos can't stick to that, and that's because... Teflon doesn't have enough stuff in common with that gecko foot to make it sticky, right? And that's also why your eggs, for example, when you have a brand new pan, they don't stick, right? Now, if you have a pan like this, your eggs, there's no hope, right? They're going to stick, right? Um, but if it's a new pan, it should not stick. And in fact, um, this, is, this is the gold standard for not sticky things, right? The other thing we think about a lot is silicone. Right, if you've ever seen a silicone cooking thing, um, that's a big boom in the last few years. Um, we're trying to get away from Teflon a lot because when you scra scrape your pan like this or when you cook it too hot, um, the Teflon will release and you'll ingest it, right? And this is very similar to what we call CFCs, chlorofluorocarbons. Um, inside, there's no chlorine, but it's fluorocarbons. Um, and those are not good for our health as well. So Teflon kind of has gone out of fashion because of its health uh, detriments in favor of silicone, which I'm sure in five or six years will find is terrible for us too. Um, but, you know, that's science. We're always in this process of kind of going through iteratively figuring out what's actually going on, and through experimentation, we kind of hopefully get towards the real answer. All right. Um, so I just want to, because everybody else has, I just want to plug the farmer's market. Um, uh, the farmer's market, I've been doing woodworking longer than I've been doing chemistry, actually. Um, I started when I was a teenager, and then I went to grad school and got a job and didn't do it for a while. And then um, I've started doing this in the last three years, which is also the three years that I've been paying daycare. Um, so make of that what you will. Um, but essentially, um, the farmer's market, if, you've, if you haven't ever been, is just a wonderful little snapshot of Winona. It's our little community, right? Um, it's where people come and hang out. Uh, it's where you get to see people nerding out, right? I've, I've done Nerd Night twice. The reason I love to do this is because I think everybody can be nerdy about something, right? If you have something in your life that you're passionate about, that's what being a nerd is to me, right? Um, I'm passionate about chemistry, uh, and what that means is also I like all the we use chemistry affects us, and, and I like to make things, and I like the process. And so come down to see us at the market sometime. Uh, we'd love to see you. But um, thanks for talking to my TED Talk. Yay!
Thank you very much, John. Thank yeah. you. All right. Do we have any questions for John? Gioiati, I know you got one. Hey, oh, here we got one in the front row here. Does the surface preparation of the wood affect the um, adhesive aspects? Oh yeah. So one of the, if you want to, so I started out this whole talk talking about how to make how to glue anything. Um, so essentially, you got to pick the right thing, um, but also you want to make sure your surfaces are very very flat and making good contacts, right? And so like my very if I look back at some of my early work, like when I was a teenager, there's gaps everywhere, right? Because the surfaces were not perfect, right? And so if you want something to stick together really well, you have to maximize that surface and then get the right adhesive that sticks to it. Yeah? Joyati? Yeah. Um, I was wondering, uh, when you were talking about making the cutting boards, uh, I think I have seen pictures of uh, that you made cutting boards of different kinds of wood. Yeah. Like, how do you know which wood will go with what? Or every wood goes with everything? And no. How, how do you um, make that decision? So a lot of it's aesthetic. Obviously, having something that looks pretty will sell better. Um, I, so I, I try to do as much that looks nice. Um, over trial and error, though, I have found that tropical woods, which have a lot of nice natural color, also are really hard to make work right, right? One of those things is because they give off those oils, which always are seeping out of them, and they interfere with the glue. Um, and so you'll see separations around those colored woods a lot of the time just because the wood itself has problems, right? Um, and you can't handle that. Now, for domestics, like maple, cherry, walnut, ash, any of those things, they'll glue fine. They don't have oils. Um, one thing that I have seen that's not really good for cutting boards is anything with open grain, like oak. Oak has big pores in it, and if the, wood, if the water gets down in those pores, it will cause the wood to move. And wood movement is my number one enemy as a woodworker because wood is going to move no matter what you do with it. You're going to move it in and out of a house. You're going to take it in and out of your kitchen. Temperature and moisture changes will ch cause the wood to move. And if it's an open-grained wood, it tends to move more than a closed-grained wood. And so you find that certain woods just aren't suitable for cutting boards. Um, oak also has a bad reputation because it has big pores that bacteria can grow in there. I mean, if that's the case, we shouldn't have been you know, making beer and oak barrels all this time. But um, I have my own feelings about that. But I do know that it fails a lot more often. So it's all been a lot of trial and error and a lot of, a lot of bonfires to pro prove me right on those ideas. Yeah? A book on cutting boards. All right. I'll add it to my long list of things to do in my life. All right. We got one over here, Matt? too. So you mentioned that during World War II that they asked people to send in bones. Was yeah. that just like like just their pets or like was it like people like what was going on there i'm confused well, I, I i don't I, you know you can say what you will about the okay, roosevelt well, oh, administration yeah, I that, so. um but i don't think they were advocating murdering your pets um what i think they were most likely was like if you would if you would take take an animal at your farm or something right the beef bones and things that you would have from your soup and stuff they could harvest that right i don't think they were telling you to kill fluffy yeah all right, let's have one more round of applause for John and all of our speakers. Thank you so much. Thank you for another great Nerd Night. Uh, we will be back August 23rd. Stick around for karaoke, you guys. It's going to be great. All right. A big thanks to the staff of Nerd Night as well as the No Name Bar for making this whole event possible. Be sure to check out Nerd Night on their Facebook at Nerd Night Winona. Visit Winona.com or NerdNight.com. To keep up with all things Winona or the surrounding Midwest area, tune in to Culture Click Thursdays at 12.30 p.m. here on 89.5 KQAL.
online at kqal.org, on the app, on your favorite smart speaker, or wherever you get your general pod stuffs. I'm Don Alzate, keeping it nerdy. Creating cultural awareness and understanding. You've been listening to Culture Click. Support for Culture Click is made possible by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Culture Click is produced by KQAL-FM on the campus of Winona State University. For more information, look us up on the web at kqal.org. And thanks for listening to Culture Click. <laughs>